if you want to be the greatest at something, you have to become obsessed with it. And that's how I was with swimming. I wanted to be at the Olympics when I was six years old. And growing up, I had a, a little folder of different colleges and I printed out their all-time top 10 times and wrote my times next to them to see how far I had to go before I was on that list. And I started drinking coffee at the ripe age of 13 because I was waking up at five o'clock in the morning and doing a swim practice on my own at our local YMCA before school, then going to school all day and then getting in the car. We were from a small town, so my parents started driving me 60 miles one way so that I could train with a more elite swim club. The pain is realizing that my Olympic dream was going to be over. I was at trials. It was probably my last one and I was not doing well at all. And on the flip side, she was there winning trials and making her first Olympic team. That was Rachel. I'm Andrew. And this is the Unpretentious Podcast. What happens when you fully commit to achieving a goal for years and the endless hours of striving aren't enough to reach it? Your mind and body now trained to love long, grueling practices and end up left watching others accomplish your dreams. While injuries and starting again are never easy, Rachel's story is filled with enthusiasm, a dedication to excellence, and being driven to maximize her potential with the support of her friends and family, who she enjoys celebrating with more than just winning. I started by asking her about the role of athletics in her life. Oh gosh, I could I could write a book about this, to be honest. I mean, I've been an athlete, I would say, pretty much my entire life. My whole family has been involved in sports since we were kids, swimming as little babies in the water at months old, and then just growing up, always playing sports. And especially when I was younger, just having that structure, the social interactions, the life lessons that you learn about winning, losing, commitment, hard work, all that kind of stuff was really instrumental for me growing up and then moving into adulthood and and I'm sure when I was when I was younger as well but just especially in these recent years still it definitely provides that structure for me but on another level kind of a deeper level it provides an outlet for stress for one, and also an outlet for self-discovery as well. Constantly learning lessons about myself and, and how far I can push myself and just a million different life lessons. So this chapter has been a little bit more about self-discovery. For those who might not know you as much, like have you tried for the Olympic trials or where'd you kind of start? And I know you're a triathlete now. What are some of the cool or unique moments you've had in sports? Yeah, for sure. I knew that I'd wanted to be a swimmer from when I was a very, very young age. But as I said, growing up, I did do a lot of different sports. But when I was around 10, 12 years old, that's when I kind of cut out all of the other sports and focused solely on swimming. And when I was 14, 15 years old, I really started having some breakout moments, qualifying for national level events. And then when I was in high school, I qualified for the Olympic trials for the first time. 
I finished uh, seventh place there in the 10 kilometer open water swim. And I also competed in the pool trials in a number of events and had, I think my highest finish in the pool was ninth place. So I just barely missed out on the, on the finals and qualified for U.S. junior national teams, got to represent the United States and won a few international medals at the junior level and also qualified for the national team as well. And then earned a full scholarship to the University of Georgia and swam there, was an All-American, part of several uh, NCAA national championship teams, had some top eight NCAA finishes myself. And I did suffer a torn rotator cuff when I was in college, so that derailed my swimming career a little bit. I did compete again at the Olympic trials, but that was only one year after a rotator cuff repair surgery. So my showing was not as good there as four years prior when I was just in high school. So really enjoyed a lot of amazing opportunities at the international level in swimming before I transitioned into triathlon. That's awesome. For those of us who are ignorant or haven't had the experiences you've had, like if all we know about sports is playing the sports that was happening in our school, and then you think it's weird that one person's dedicated to just one sport, what wouldn't we understand? We just think you're lucky or you're just naturally gifted at something. Could you kind of help us understand like what all you've gone through to truly excel at something versus just the people who do sports just for, not that you're not having fun, but all they're doing is having fun and they're not training. Sure. Yeah. It really was a intense commitment from the time that I was really young. When I was growing up, I definitely was very committed, but I was doing all of the same practices that my peers were doing. But when I knew that I wanted to compete at truly an elite level, I was around 13 years old and my parents actually started driving me 60 miles one way so that I could train with a more elite swim club we were from a small town, so they drove me the whole way into the city so that I could train and compete at a higher level. So that was a whole family sacrifice. My poor parents getting filling up their gas tank every other day and driving me 60 miles one way to practice. I also at that time started doing doubles. So I was waking up at five o'clock in the morning. I started drinking coffee at the ripe age of 13 because <laughs> I was waking up that early and doing a swim practice on my own at our local YMCA before school, then going to school all day and then getting in the car, usually taking a nap on the way there and then maybe doing my homework in the car on the, on the long drive back. So really was just a true all in commitment from both myself and my family as well. Very lucky to have that support. I also moved across the state when I was 16 because I had the opportunity to attend a private school and swim for another very elite club. So my parents decided to, again, sacrifice everything. And my mom moved halfway across Pennsylvania with me so that I could attend the school and uh, swim for the club. And the rest of my family remained in our hometown. And then, of course, when you go to college, being a student athlete is not the typical college student experience. You're not having the same amount of free time and freedom as your peers are. So it really is 100% commitment from multiple parties to achieve that. And I feel very lucky. Some of the commitment, yes, has come from me, but a lot of it has, has come from other people who have invested in me as well. 
you're surrounded by people who what you're doing makes sense because they also have similar goals and they're trying to compete as well. But how do you explain, like, you know, at 13 years old, it sounds like you're already clocking into a job <laughs> needing coffee. It's like, oh. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Where does that come from, from someone who that would be so foreign to them? Like, is there a way you can kind of help them understand where that drive, passion, like, is that fun for you or you're just very goal oriented and you want to achieve something or... <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, I think I always have been built a little bit different. I'm definitely an introverted person. So that's why I was I was drawn to swimming. I mean, I love the personal relationships that I've gained from from sports as well, but I really love those individual sports where you can kind of put put your head down and do your own work and you don't have to rely on anyone else for your success. Or, I mean, of course, you rely on them for their support, but in terms of doing the work, it is 100% on you when you dive into the pool, whether you're having a good practice or not. From a super young age, I was just very driven. I was like that in school as well. My parents will tell you stories about me as a, as a kindergartner having an absolute meltdown because I didn't get the, the whole... Um, we had report cards and your progress was measured by like a, a line. And, and if the line went the whole way across, it meant you were 100%, you know, proficient and whatever. And, and when that, when something wasn't perfect, I, I had a meltdown is, is basically what I'm trying to say um, from the time that I uh, started getting my very first report cards, that desire for excellence. I mean, I think it just comes because I know that I have, and I, and I knew back then that I had the potential and for me, I just couldn't leave that potential out on the table. I had to explore it and pursue it to the absolute max. I wasn't going to be satisfied unless I knew that I at least tried. So do you love winning more than you hate losing? So it sounds like part of you, it's you can't stand I don't not being perfect. So it's a perfectionist, like it annoys you to not mm -hmm. be perfect. Or is it that you truly love? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so would you say it's like a negative motivate a negative motivation thing but you find joy in overcoming a Nate yeah it's it's not so much a fear of losing I think it's just the the fear of of not trying it, it definitely I I am very competitive I I know that some of my success and even at a very young age was was driven by that competitive nature, seeing different peers around me, achieving things and wanting to compete and wanting to, to be at that level or, or even better. Guys, I've kind of matured. It's been, yes, it's certainly about, about um, the desire to win and the fear of, of not being successful. But I think it's just more what drives me is just excellence which is very broad i know but it's it's more about the holistic nature of who i am as a person and wanting to push that to the absolute maximum rather than one specific win at any competition it's about building that legacy for myself what about people who come at this maybe from a different perspective and they're maybe wired differently and they would view life through the lens of like relationships or just comfort and ease and like having a quotes unquote, you know, like good life. And for them, that's, that's not pushing their limits. It's just enjoying where they're at and not getting caught up in the rat race of performance or this or that, or saying, look at all the sacrifices it takes. Mm -hmm. 
how do you respond to that or what do you, th do you think it's just a difference of how we perceive life or we're wired or yeah i think it's about what you what you prioritize right and i think that changes at different points in your life and what what you're willing to sacrifice in any given point in your life for me as a the middle schooler even when when i did make that decision to you know start driving 60 miles to practice every single day i completely gave up pretty much any form of social life <laughs> from the time that i was 13 years old and and even now i mean my social life is is uh, next to non-existent and for me i was willing to make that sacrifice because the social life wasn't necessarily as important to me as it may be to someone else also certain family restrictions especially as you get older can can kind of come in the way and for me I'm at the point now where I'm single I don't have any partner or children to worry about so I'm able and willing to make the kind of sacrifices to help drive me to that level of excellence that I want to be at and if I had other factors in my life that would be the time where I would need to sit back and reevaluate and decide what kind of excellence do I want to be pursuing? Is it in sport or is it in my family life? That's when things may change. And that's when you may sacrifice on other things as soon as your priorities shift. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. One of the things I'm curious about with your story, it seems in one sense, you put all your eggs in one basket, which is I love excellence. I'm driven to succeed, to perform, to find out what's possible. This, this drives me. I love it. You're exploring your potential, and then an injury happens. It all gets taken away from you, and you have nothing left. Yeah, absolutely. I feel almost lucky to have started experiencing injury from a young age because I've started learning those lessons at, at a very young age. The first time that you experience something like that, where you do quote unquote, put all of your eggs in one basket, and then it seems to be taken away from you when you have the physical incapability of doing your sport, you do have to realize what you have on the outside. For me, while I say that I don't have a social life, I've always been a part of a team and competing and training alongside of other individuals. So while we, we may not have had the same social life that other teenagers or college students enjoyed, I've had incredible relationships being forged in the pool and throughout my triathlon career as well. So experiencing the injuries has definitely been difficult, but those friends didn't go away and those teammates didn't go away. Uh, same thing with my family. And then for me, my faith has definitely grown through those experiences because when I had nothing else to hang on to, uh, I still had my faith and realized in college how important that was for me. And that has definitely continued on through through my adult life is, is relying on my faith when I feel like, you know, I may not have anything else. What made you go from swimming to triathlete? Is it after college? Is there not really a path forward for swimmers? Is, is the Olympics like the only option after college or why, why the change? USA Swimming, credit to them, as well as uh, some other organizations, uh, the FINA, which I think they recently changed their name. I can't remember what it is now, as well as the uh, International Swimming League. 
has really paved the way for professional swimmers and there's a lot more resources available to them so you can continue swimming on without just the olympics in mind there's there's plenty of opportunities but for me i had reached the point where my body mm. my shoulder just couldn't couldn't handle that level anymore uh, so it was it was pretty clear that it was time for me to give it up and it was really heartbreaking because I was still very much in love with the sport of swimming by the time that I had retired. So I would have gladly kept on pursuing it if uh, physically that option would have been uh, capable, but unfortunately it was not. So after I retired from swimming, I was very lost. I didn't really know how to exercise going from being such a high level swimmer and having that kind of structure every day for 20 years almost. It was definitely a challenge for me. So I actually started taking cycling classes and training for running races. So I ran my first half marathon and then full marathon. Someone in my cycling class once said, oh, you should really do triathlon. You, you're crushing these spin <laughs> classes. And, and my mom was a triathlete. I, I talked to her about it and we signed up. She had always wanted to do a half Ironman. So we signed up for a half Ironman together and competed in that in 2018 and then was hooked after that. So you added two new disciplines. I mean, obviously swimming is something that you've excelled at, but is biking and running, is that a lot less technical and it's just more about time put in or how do you view those two? Honestly, riding is very technical hmm. and that I think cycling is a huge strength for me in terms of potential and just raw power. It's definitely one of my strengths, but it doesn't always necessarily translate as riding your bike is very technical. And there is a level of comfortability that you can only achieve through experience. But certainly the running is a little bit less technical. And that has been a very slow grind for me in terms of just putting in the work and seeing improvements little by little by little. When you say technical on the bike, are you meaning even on a flat course that has no turns, it's still like getting in the proper aero position? Or? Yeah, definitely. It's it's just diligence to that aero position. Sometimes for me, I even think flat courses can be harder because you have to be so diligent about being in that position. And then just the little things about even even learning how to shift properly as you're going over different terrains and experiencing different wind conditions mm. learning how to efficiently take on uh, nutrition and and just the the fit of your bike the equipment that you're using it can be kind of overwhelming at times gotcha. it seems easy when you're just looking at it you just ride a bike like <laughs> right exactly yeah yeah for sure yeah i guess that's one of the things the more you do it the more you appreciate it definitely yeah you started off as an age group, right? And you had a Kona slot, but then I guess that was around COVID. So you went pro. Yeah, exactly. So I started competing as an age grouper in 2018. I did my first Ironman in 2019. Uh, up until then, I was actually competing, doing all, all of my triathlons on a road bike. So that was the first year that I got my triathlon bike was 2019 and did my first Ironman yeah, I was kind of poised to have a really great year as an age grouper in 2020, but that is when COVID hit. So I think I made a lot of huge gains during that year 
a lot of people, they weren't as motivated because there there were no races. And while I absolutely do love racing, and, and like we were talking about earlier, winning and competing certainly drives me. I think, like I said, what drives me more is just pursuing getting the best out of myself. So I spent all of 2020 training really hard and being really happy. I was I was happy to just be training, and <laughs> I made a lot of huge gains during that year. Had a phenomenal season as an age grouper in 2021. Got a Kona slot by uh, winning the age group race at Ironman Lake Placid. And then found out that Kona was going to be postponed until at least February, but we were thinking it would be longer than that. So we played the the game of do we wait until Kona 2022 or do we take the pro card that I'd earned multiple times from my races in 2021 and try to start our development early. So my coach and I made the decision to to take the pro card, which was awesome. Definitely don't regret that decision one bit. I did end up qualifying for Kona as a professional for 2022. I, I qualified to be there either way, which was great. Unfortunately, my injury did happen right before Kona, so I didn't get to compete. But I was very proud of myself for, for qualifying as a professional in my first season. Yeah, that's awesome. You've obviously had a huge swim background to truly get you know really good at something where you're approaching Olympic trials. Like, do you think you kind of learn universal skills that then translate? So if you pick up something like biking or running, anything from your swim background just to training the discipline helped you succeed? Or why do you think you picked it up so naturally? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. Swimming is pretty notorious for being a boring sport. <laughs> You're kind of staring at a black line with your face in the water all day. For me, I was a distance swimmer. And in high school, I swam for a legendary coach, Dick Schulberg, who coached a lot of open water swimmers. And he was notorious for having long, just grueling practices. The way that people were training in the 80s, there was this big phase in swimming that was all about massive yardage. Some people reinvented the approach later on, but Schulberg, my coach, kept that, kept that approach going. <laughs> so I came from a massive yardage program in high school. I was doing things like 10,000s for time, 20,000-yard practices, four- or five-hour swim practices. Going through that prepped me so well for training for Ironman. I'm one of those triathletes that I do love training indoors on the bike, on the trainer, because I just love being able to put my head down and just grind away and consistently at an interval not having to worry about stopping for lights or worrying about traffic mm. or anything like that. That doesn't bother me in the slightest to be on the trainer for a four or five hour ride. So I think that all came from being conditioned as a distance swimmer. So I definitely think that that just the skill of being able to make it through those grueling and, and sometimes boring sets uh, definitely came from my swim background. I admire that. What would you say, like, because it sounds very machine-like. It sounds like the opposite of what people from more liberal arts type of life would say is, is mm -hmm. what it means to be human. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> this seems to be like deny everything you feel and focus on a goal and put your head down and just you're staying in place, suffering for hours. And it's like, yeah, I love this. 
it seems so foreign to them. It's almost like, are you actually enjoying it? Or is this just keeping your demons at bay where it's like, I got to fight? <laughs> <laughs> like, are we just fighting to get to neutral or are we enjoying every moment of it? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think that's that's definitely, um, definitely, I've had people say things like that to me before, just just cannot fathom how I'm able to do that or, or how anyone's able to do that because there, there's a lot of people out there like me that enjoy, quote unquote, enjoy the same things. It's kind of what I was, what I was saying earlier, earlier when you said what, what athletics means to me, those kinds of sessions, they really are vehicles for self-discovery. So when you are alone in your own head for hours and hours and hours at a time, there are a million different things that that happen in your mind. So while I may be just in my garage grinding away on the bike, my mind is is going on a journey. And and even while I'm racing, I mean, when I'm racing, I think my mind's a little bit more blank and just focused on the race. But certainly when I'm training, I am thinking about execution and I'm very diligent to executing the sessions. But there's certainly a lot of reflection on my own life that occurs in these super long sessions. It's definitely where I've done a lot of thinking in my mind and, and, and making life decisions, honestly, and just thinking about who I want to be and, and what's important to me in my life. I mean, my mind goes absolutely everywhere when I'm by myself for, for, for such long periods of time. What do you think you discovered about yourself in one of these hard sessions biking that you want to have discovered about yourself on a beach thinking? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's definitely a feeling of empowerment and pride and knowing that you have the ability to make it through some really difficult things. I think I use those skills every single day in my life. I do work a full-time job and there are days that are either really boring or there are days where I have to meet a deadline and I'm staring at a million different things that I have to do before tomorrow. I think that those kind of sessions have helped me develop the ability and as well the confidence. So not just not just the ability, but the confidence to know that I can do these really difficult things. Sometimes you have to for lack of a better term, put on your big girl pants and just do it. When you have those things staring at you in the face, it's definitely taught me that I'm stronger than I think and that I can do difficult things and and just how to talk myself through it for sure. So it sounds like it's more meaningful for you to strive to overcome a challenge than it is just to enjoy the comfort of some experience like being on the beach. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not saying that everyone should be that way. I <laughs> right. don't know if that's a good thing, but that's definitely the way I operate. Oh, I, I think variety is good. We shall appreciate uh, what yes. you, yes, appreciate different sides of life and what it takes to get there. Definitely. Yeah. And then how did, how did your pro debut go? I think you, you and Gustav Eden, it was the one in Florida, like you guys, that was both your first pro, <laughs> pro race. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, yes. Wow. I, I don't think I deserve to be mentioned in the same sentence as Gustav Eden, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, it was it was an, it was awesome. It was a really stacked field. I don't know why, but I think it was because it was one of the first races that was going to be eligible for Kona qualification for 2022. So I think a lot of pros wanted to head there and try to get that under their belt. 
it was awesome. I led out of the water, which was great, and got past a lot on the bike <laughs> and uh, hung on for the run. It was definitely the hardest I've pushed myself in an Ironman. That was the day that I realized the difference between what it means to finish an Ironman versus what it means to truly race an Ironman. When I did my first Ironman in, in 2019, I certainly didn't win out of the age groupers, but it was my very first one. So I just had the goal of finishing. And then when I raced in Lake Placid, I was very ahead of all the other age groupers. So I, I was kind of competing with some pros, but at the same time, in the back of my mind, if a pro would pass me, I'd be like, oh, well, it's okay. They're, they're a pro. We're not in the same race. Uh -huh. <laughs> but then in Florida, my pro debut, I was in the field. So if someone passed me, it mattered because we were in the same race. So it was definitely the hardest I've pushed myself uh, physically and mentally in an Ironman. And of course, all of the ones after that as well. They only got harder from there. <laughs> I know you have no control over it, but do you like that you're so good at swimming that you come out first? Because it seems like that only leaves you with a chance to lose the rest of the race because you're already number one. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that I don't like it. I would certainly prefer it probably over anything else. It is difficult to feel like you have nowhere to go but down. Not to kind of feel like that. It's true. You have nowhere to go but down. What bothers me more, I would say, is... Sometimes there can be a negative stigma associated with being a quote-unquote swim specialist. Certain people will not really, definitely people that don't necessarily understand triathlon or understand it that well are kind of like, oh, what the heck? Like you were winning and then, mm. and then you lost. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it's a lot more complicated than that. And then I think sometimes too, People say to me all the time, you're so lucky that you had that swim background. Like, oh, I don't have this or I didn't have that. And, and I'm like, I mean, yes, I'm, I don't say that I'm lucky because I didn't grow up as a cyclist or a runner. Mm -hmm. So, and then at the same time, I don't think a 20 year elite swim career is luck. Like, I worked <laughs> hard for, for that swim. So I think what bothers me more is the misperceptions of it. But in terms of a racing perspective, it, it allows me to be at a more dynamic part of the race, certainly. And I'm still trying to harness that in terms of learning how to use other people on the bike and, and learning how to ride technically with other people. Yeah, I'm curious about the, the perception of other people who've never really tried anything athletically hard or anything like that. What do you think you could convey to them to help them understand where, you know, from their perspective, it's just luck or it's like, well, I didn't have the parents you did or the coaches you did. How do you think you can convey your experience to them in a way they would understand? In some regards, like I do feel very lucky because I, I have, I mean, in my biased opinion, the best parents in the world. <laughs> that have always provided me with the most amazing opportunities. And then on the other hand, they weren't those pushy parents, right? Like there were some times in my life where I'm like, I almost wish like you would care more. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, so I do feel like that is the one thing that I would have a hard time trying to relate to someone who doesn't have that same experience because I, I just really do think my parents are the best of the best. But aside from being blessed with the best parents in the world, luck has actually not been on my side. There's just so many things that I've had to 
seek out my own solutions for. I feel like constantly in my life, I've been faced with one challenge after another, after another, and whether it's health issues or just logistical issues or financial concerns, I just feel like it's constantly like the odds are not in my favor. Yeah, so I think it's just about sitting down and, and, and seeing what your problems are and finding the best possible solution forward. For me, I do use my parents as a resource a lot just for for helping me talk things out and helping me when I'm having one of those really hard days where I just don't feel confident at all. I feel very lucky that I can talk to my parents about it. But the key is that if you don't have a good support system around you, that's something that that you need to seek out, right? And it doesn't have to be your parents if you're not as lucky as me. It can be you know, a friend, a partner, a teacher, a coach, that's kind of been the key thing that I would say to people is just find that find that support system, whoever it may be. That's good. If I'm thinking about trying to understand your life, like through the lens of what movies would tell me about athletics, everything you go through, it's always only worth it and validated if you get the gold medal in the Olympics. You know, you might have your failures and uh-huh. setbacks, but at the end of the day, we're watching the movie because you win. <laughs> right. Yeah. For people who don't really understand, you know, your motivation or why you're doing things, well, it it seems like the whole goal all along was to win the gold medal and, you know, you're rich and famous, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But that only happens to a very select few. So it's like, is that what's driving you? I mean, we've already talked about that not being the case. Yeah. But what what would you say if you never get the gold medal or you never win Kona? Like, would you feel like my story is a complete failure or how would you think about that? Yeah, that's a great question and definitely something that I've already had to to wrestle with with my swimming career. It was my goal when I was six years old and watching the Sydney Olympics to make it to the Olympics. So I feel like everything in my life, every decision that I made in swimming was certainly made with that big goal and dream in mind. And I did not make the Olympics. And so... On one hand, you would think that I was absolutely crushed, and in some ways I am. I, I, you know, I do feel for, I feel for that little six-year-old girl that was dreaming of making the Olympics and, and feel sorry that she never had that chance. But I guess what I would say is, it sounds very cliche, but while I didn't achieve that goal, the things that I learned along the way were far more valuable than the actual accomplishment. So it's kind of weird, right? It's like, I still think that you need to have that goal as the motivating factor and those those concrete goals and something that you're striving for so hard. But I think that there's just a beauty in what you gain when you are striving for something and the actual journey of striving for that goal is more powerful than achieving that goal itself. And I still believe that you have to be all in on it in order to get the most out of that experience. But as I've alluded to before, my faith and just discovering my personal faith along the way, as well as those relationships have just been so enriched in the journey, as well as just the things that I've had to overcome and and the, and the pride that I have in that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think just it's, it's really special when you have people that have been by your side and that have experienced the same heartbreaks as you have, or just the same setbacks that you have. One of my very best friends, um, and it's really cool because she actually, her name's Olivia Smaliga. She is a two-time Olympian. Uh, We were roommates in college, and she actually moved to Arizona, which is where I live, to continue her swimming career. So she's still swimming and, and pursuing that goal, and now I'm off doing my own thing. And every time we meet up, it's just like, it's it's emotional because I just feel like we just see everything that each of us has have been through. And we've had a very, very different journeys, but we've witnessed each other along the way. And just to see like how we've grown as people, that's just really what is the most special to me. And yeah, like I said, enriched in the sense that we have this long relationship where we've we've really seen each other at some really really lows and really really highs. It's definitely made our relationship stronger and just helps us understand each other better as as humans. If it were a movie though, you would probably be cast as like the bitter resentful friend that turned into a rival. <laughs> <laughs> what kept you being like a fan of her and her success versus saying why isn't this happening for me? Yeah, that's a great question because if I'm being like 100% honest, I've never felt any sort of jealousy. Like when she made the Olympic team, it was in 2016 when I was feeling a lot of emotions because it was me realizing that my Olympic dream was going to be over because I was at trials. It was probably my last one and I was not doing well at all. And on the flip side, she was there winning trials and making her first Olympic team. I think it's just like, well, for one, I think it's just a level of respect and, and love that, that we have for each other. And when I saw her just receiving her award and, and standing up and being named to the Olympic team, it was just like an overwhelming amount of love. And I felt that way for all of my teammates that ended up making the team. And I realized a little bit earlier on that when you're driven by jealousy to a specific person it's never works out in the end. Like every time I've been motivated by one specific person and I do think competition is good and I think rivalries are great, but it has to be healthy. (laughs) That deep jealousy and and bitterness being driven by that might be a temporary source of (laughs) fire, but I personally don't believe it ends well for anyone. Do you think you have a a shared love of excellence together where that transcends even your personal identity, it's more just wanting to see the best happen possible and whoever does it, like that's that's fantastic. This would be a, a witness to it. Yeah, I think especially with some of my friends and, and the people that I know really well, I just love seeing people realize who they were meant to be all mm. along, right? I think a lot of times that comes with not just a tangible success, but I think once you do have this realization of, being unapologetically yourself and really being true and authentic to yourself, oftentimes that does go hand in hand with success because I think some of those other inhibitors, whether it be jealousy or 
lack of self-confidence or, or things like that. I think those can be really inhibitors of performance. So I think there is just a correlation between being authentic to yourself and often having personal success. It doesn't always work that way, but when I see people that experience success, that's what I feel like I'm most excited about. I'm just happy to see them being their self and doing well in life all around. So how does that relate to greatness? Because you're saying people being who they are, but I don't think any high-class athlete, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out there and be the 17th best in the world. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think that's anyone's real dream. It's like to be in yeah. that club, everyone's like, I want to be the best. But yet somehow you, you don't tie your ego into that because you're able to cheer for your friend's success, even if it's not yours. So do you think you have to have this idea of I will not accept anything less than the best or else I'm just going to be furious? Or how do you think someone becomes the greatest? Oh, that's a great question. I don't think you can become the greatest without believing that you can become the greatest. I think at the same time, too, though, like there, there does have to be a reality about where you are. And I think it does take smaller steps to get there. And I think that's different for every person. Certainly, there's people in the sport of triathlon that have been competing from a very young age, right? And they're, they're very skilled and, and they know that, that they have what it takes as soon as they step into the sport. Maybe for someone like me, I this past year, I had the goal of qualifying for Kona. I didn't realistically believe that I could win Kona this year, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I still feel like I have to have that belief that in my journey, I have the potential to become the best one day. You have to be realistic about the goals that are directly in front of you in the short term. But at the same time, you want to get there. You have to have that, that belief in your head that, that you can do it. I agree. But when it comes to Kona, going back to Gustav, the traditional knowledge was always no one ever wins Kona on their first time. You go there, you, you just got to get the experience. And then three or four years later, maybe you'll be in a position then. A lot of the top podium finishers, it was you know their first time. Yeah, but I think for those people, what people don't see, I mean, yeah, Gustav, his Ironman debut was in Florida and his Kona debut was this year. And the same for someone like Sam Laidlow, who was second place. Sam has been competing in triathlon since he was four years old. <laughs> so I think for those examples, like while they might have been shocks that they were rookies, both of those athletes had huge goals in triathlon from a very young age. So I think their journeys were kind of more similar to like my swimming career, right? Where I was dreaming about it when I was six years old. I wasn't dreaming about going to Kona when I was <laughs> six years old, but you know, they might've. Um, mm -hmm. So they're just a little bit more advanced in their journey than I am right now. So my dreams of being the greatest in triathlon have developed a little bit later than someone like them. Yeah. It seems like a, reinforcement mechanism where you see something you start to like it and you watch it on tv and it seems like you almost have to talk yourself into it if you want to be the greatest at something you have to become obsessed with it and that's how i was with swimming like i said i wanted to be the olympics when i was six years old and growing up i had a, a little folder of different colleges and i printed out their all-time top 10 times and wrote my times next to them to see how far i had to go before <laughs> i was on that list and that all started really young. And for triathlon, that dream has started a lot later. 
I'm now becoming enraptured with the sport, so to speak, as I've grown through it. But I think at some point that switch does need to flip. It almost needs to become an obsession. It's not so much about who has the best genetics as much as that does play a role, but it's who has this mindset of almost being obsessive. That is what it takes to be the best. I mean, I think so. And I think with that comes a lot of sacrifice. And in order to achieve that sacrifice, sometimes you you need other resources in your life. You know, if you look at someone like Chelsea Sidero, she is a mom. She has a husband and a daughter, but she was able to to win Kona because she sacrificed a lot of things in her life, but had the support system around her to help make that happen. It's not to say that you can't have those other priorities in your life, but you might need some some support along the way. Gotcha. And let's say you do become the greatest. Do you think that makes you a better person than someone? Or how do you contextualize what athletic success means overall in terms of like your life when it obviously is such a huge part of your life, but does it define who you are and determine your worth? Absolutely not. I've learned that winning unequivocally does not relate to being a, g- a good person. <laughs> or at least the kind of person that I want to be. Winning is great. And I think, like I said before, you need those overarching goals to to strive for your excellence. But we all forget who wins, right? I can barely remember who won the Super Bowl last year. But when it was going on, it was the biggest thing going on in the world at the moment. But memory is very short-term in athletics. And someone greater is going to come along the very next year. So... I feel like I keep saying this, but it's just the human products of striving for excellence and just what you learn along the way and the relationships that you're able to to build. And I'll also add that the top step of a podium feels very, very empty if you don't have anyone to share it with. With all of those things, it's just more about those core life memories that you make just by like realizing like, wow, like all of these people invested in me and, and I want to do this for them because they, they really invested in me and they believed in me and I want to honor them. Competing in that way is really special. And when you win, that moment is really, really special. But the actual medal, the actual accomplishment, it's often forgotten but the people in my swimming career, the friends that I've made, and the way that my relationships with my family members has just been deepened is the greatest product of my athletic career. I'm done trying to impress anybody, but the heavens where I'm headed, you don't get to hold on to your flowers. I am in my zone, eyes on the throne, 20K deep, better pull out your phones. Turning the arena to believers every time I hit the ceiling, ain't nobody ever touching my show. Look at what we started, look at where we got to.